You can be seated for a moment. So while you're being seated, let's turn to Genesis 2, Exodus 2. I did that in the first service too. Man, alive. At least this time my mic was on. I didn't have my mic on in the first service, so I was yelling and no one understood what I was saying. Exodus 2. So I told Jared, when he, when he asked me if I would preach, um, I told him, I said, okay, but I just want to, I just want to let you know that um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to preach in a passage you've already read, and I'm just going to tell them everything you did wrong, and we're just going to go from there. He didn't seem all that worried, so I'm not sure how to take that. But uh, so, so we, are, we are back at the birth of Moses. We got a little bit different focus than, than when Jared did it the first time. Uh, we are back at the birth of Moses. So, sorry, uh, one, of my, one of my students back there is running the camera, so I saw I was at the edge of the camera. I decided to give him a hard time and try and get out of the range of camera. I apologize. I promise to focus. Okay, uh, so Exodus 2, birth of Moses. Now, keep in mind that the, 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 the Pharaoh of Egypt has declared that uh, the boys be killed, that the boys be killed, and, and so now we look at uh, where, where we see Moses, and we see the convergence of two worlds in Moses' life. So do me a favor, as is our, our custom, let's stand as we read God's word. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbanks. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this, baby to, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman who took the baby and nursed him, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Father, once again, we come to you and we thank you for this amazing day. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your love letter to us. I, I ask that you would use this time, that you would speak to each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we see Moses was both a Hebrew and an Egyptian. That, that he had, he, he, was, he was born a Hebrew that, that obviously the Pharaoh's daughter could, could see, probably knew there was probably several of these things going on. I mean, people didn't want to, to, to kill their children. Um, and, and so sees this, uh, but, but also he was, he, was, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. Now, he was nursed and eventually weaned in his own mother's house. And, and the age that, that babies were usually weaned, he, he probably started to pick up at least a few things. So the very base level was on a Hebrew level and, and then was taken to Pharaoh's daughter and, and, and grows up in both. So, so we see this convergence and we, we you know, Brother Jared has, has talked about the importance of, of both of these. And we see this convergence. Now, here's a really interesting thing. We look at Moses' life. We look at Moses' life. And we see God's hand at work, right? I mean, Moses is one of the first people that we learn about when we walk into a children's program, 
right? I, I mean, there's the, the, the ten plagues and there's uh, the parting of the Red Sea. Like, these are things that I can remember back from when I was a kid. If you have ever spent any time in, in, in a, a children's program, you can probably remember that as well. It, it's, it's easy to depict that, especially with kids. It's easy to illustrate that and to draw those pictures. And so, so we learned that, and, and, and now we're about to turn the year over. See, we, we continue to be, in, to be reminded of Moses and reminded of the importance of Moses because as we turn the year over, um, everyone's about to start their new reading plan. So on January 1st, you're going to open up to Genesis 1-1, and you're going to start reading. Well, by the time, um, you know, you get through Genesis, and that's exciting, and, and, and then you're going to get to Exodus, and you're going to hear this in about the middle of February. And so right before you hit Leviticus and Numbers and get tired and skip for a couple of months and then just move on to, to Romans, um, you know, you will, you will at least have, have read Moses over and over again. And so we see this, and, and, and we see that, that, that these things in Moses' life come together, and they both are vitally important. They're both vitally important. Let me ask you this. What do you do when you see a convergence of situations in your own life that gives you access to someone that no one else in this room has? Do you see it as an orchestration of God's plan? Or do you see it as a coincidence? Now, based on the title, you probably know which one I'm going to lean to. And so I want, I want to ask this. Moses had access that no other Hebrew had. No other Hebrew. There was no one else that had the access to both the Hebrews because of his heritage and to the Egyptians because of his raising that he had. I, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. Um, you, have, you have Moses. You have Moses who, who is, is born and raised in the palace um, and then eventually runs away when Pharaoh is seeking to kill him because he learned that he killed one of Pharaoh's guards that was beating an, a, a, a Hebrew. And, but but he, when he comes back, when he comes back, he has, he has spoken to God. God has told him what it is that his plan is for him. He said, this is what you're going to do. This is what, this is what I, have, I have, have brought you to this point for. When he comes back, when he comes back, he is able to get in front of Pharaoh. I want you to think about something for a moment. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was also viewed as a god to his people. Do you think it was easy to get in front of Pharaoh? No. So do me a favor. I, I, when, when, you, when you think about this, dig, dig deep into this. That, that if Moses didn't have the background that he had, he wasn't going to get the audience with Pharaoh that he needed to have. God used that. God used that. Now, God could have done it in another way, but this is how God chose to do it. God used that to ensure that he was going to get there. And not just that, not just once, keep in mind, not just once, but every time he came back, every time he came back, he got back in. I'm sorry, at some point, I'm going to lock the door on that dude. But he continued to have access. Why did he continue to have access? Possibly because of his background, possibly because of the people that he was dealing with. They knew him. They knew him. They dealt with him. They'd grown up with him. Think about how God uses that. Think about how God used this very specific thing within Moses' background to impact what it was that God was doing in the lives of the people around him. Now, here's the other interesting thing, is Moses had a foot in two worlds, right? He was, he was both Egyptian and Hebrew. However, when, we, when he talks to God, we see the majority of his time, the bulk of the conversation between him and God is focused on his concern about his inadequacies within the Hebrew world. They're not going to believe me. If I come back and say that I am, I am here 
because you have brought me here, because you have told me that I'm going to lead them out. They're not going to believe me. What do I say to them then? See, when I go to them, they're going to call me a fake. They're going to call me a phony. They're going to tell me that I'm just here looking for attention. They're going to tell me that I just, I just always want to make things difficult. Like they're, they're, they're not going to believe me. I'm not comfortable in this setting and in this scenario. So we see these two parts of Moses. I, I have a question. If I, were to, if I were to give you one of two choices, one of two choices, your first choice is you get to come up here, I'm going to give you the microphone, and you're going to give me a five-minute gospel presentation. Five-minute gospel presentation. Your second choice, your second choice is that you're going to come up here and you're going to get five minutes to tell me about whatever subject it is that you spend the most part of your life doing. Maybe it is your job, maybe it is your hobby, whatever it may be. If, if I give you that choice and I let you walk up here to this stage and do it, which one are you going to choose? Most people, most people will go with that which they are most comfortable with, what you do all of your life. What you do on, on a daily basis, it, maybe, it's a, it's a, maybe it's a Monday to Friday job, maybe it's not. Maybe it's one of these jobs that, 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 that it, it happens a little bit more free-flowing, but it's whatever you pour yourself into and you spend so much time doing. There's probably someone in this room that is so deeply involved in human resources that you could get up here and in five minutes you wouldn't even be, be approaching the tip of the iceberg of what it is that you know about human resource law. I'm assuming that's a thing. I kind of just threw it out there. But, but, yet, but yet, I have no idea what any of that means. Like, literally, I, I, I don't have that ability. But so many people, most people, honestly, are way, way, way more comfortable. They have way more ability to, uh, to, to create thoughts and sentences around what it is that they do with most of the time of their lives. And that's, here's the deal, that's okay. That's okay. See, a lot of people feel really inadequate because they have that feeling. And I'm going to tell you what, Moses had it. Moses had it, okay? And, and so when we look at this and we begin to talk about this, we begin to look at, at, at what is this? What is this convergence that God used in Moses' life where he had a foot in two different worlds? See, there's another person. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to start turning to the book of Esther. The book of Esther, all right? It's page 532 in my Bible, if that helps anyone. You know, I'll say this. The good jokes never get old. They, they always, always, always are funny. And there's a joke that my dad knows that I'm thinking of right now, and I'm not going to do it because y'all won't get it, but it's hilarious. So, so Esther 4. Esther 4. All right? I'm going to start reading in 14, but here, here's the background. Here's the background. Esther, Esther is queen. And she's chosen queen because, to boil it down, uh, she basically wins a beauty pageant. That's why she becomes queen, okay? The fact that she is in the king's home appears to be like a complete coincidence. But here's the deal. She's a Jew. Nobody knew this. She was actually instructed not to let people know this by Mordecai. And, and so what happens is, is over time, uh, there is a guy named Haman. He is elevated to a point uh, in the society where the king, the king, says, Bow down, worship him, and pray to him. This guy is so awesome, I want you to bow down, worship him, and pray to him, okay? Now, Mordecai says, no way. No way. I don't bow down, worship, and pray to anyone other than God. So I'm not going to do that to him. Well, that angers Haman. Because Haman has been elevated to a level where you better respect me. 
And so it angers Haman. And so what Haman decides he's going to do is if this guy is a problem, obviously everyone who believes like him is a problem, so we're going to get rid of the Jews. So he starts plotting to get rid of the Jews. He's going to wipe them out, and he's going to use the king to do it. Mordecai finds out about this and begins to, begins to mourn, sackcloth, ashes, the whole bit. Esther hears this and, and, and sends one of her servants, and he tells her, he, he says, he says you've got to go to the king. You've got to bring this up. And she says, here's the deal. You guys know the, the rule. You know the law. The one law that there is about appearing in front of the king is if you show up before the king and he didn't invite you, he's going to kill you. That is a law. Unless he extends his golden scepter. And here's the problem. Here's the problem is I haven't been invited to see him for 30 days. I'm not even on the front of his mind. He's got other things going. He's not even thinking about me. If I show up and he's not happy with me, if I show up and he doesn't want to see me, I'm dead right there on the spot. So then we look at Esther 4, verse 14. For Mordecai says this, For if you stay, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court. He was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. And from there, Esther unveils the plan, and the king takes action. We'll remember those. And, and so what we see is, is we see yet another, we see yet another opportunity to look at something that is a great coincidence. Wow, I'm really glad that Esther was in that position, because otherwise we'd be in big problems, right? And yet, and yet, what we can see, what we can see because we know it's Scripture, and because when we look at Scripture, you and I both know that this is God orchestrating what's going on, that God is using the circumstances and he's using the surroundings that are around them in that immediate moment, in these crazy, crazy circumstances. He's crafting these together, and he's doing this so that way he can deliver his people. He did it with Moses. He's doing it with Esther. He's continuing to use these people in these amazing circumstances because, because they have a foot in two worlds. They are a member of two peoples. They both are members of the Jews but are in the royal household that they have access and ability to do things that otherwise people don't have the ability to do. God was using these circumstances. He orchestrated their lives for this. Now let me ask you a question. When you look at things in your life, do you view them as, as coincidences or do you view them as an orchestration of God? Seriously. 
See, because when we, when we look at our lives, when we look at our lives, I'm going to tell you this much. You are a member of two peoples. You're a member of two peoples. Now, I don't think anybody in here has been adopted by a, a king. I keep getting, I will admit, I keep getting emails from a Nigerian prince, but I don't think it's the same thing, okay? <laughs> but, but you are a member of two people. See, here's the deal. They were both members of two peoples. One was a people that was God's people. See, they, and what was, it, what was it that God's people had that nobody else had? See, God's people had the knowledge of the true king of the universe and the saving knowledge of that king. They had that. No one else had that. The Jews throughout history largely never had anything that anyone else didn't have except for God, except for the worship of the one true God. The Jews after David and Solomon have always, always, always been a, 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 a group, and you can read it in Scripture, that was always oppressed, that was always enslaved, that was always carried off. But they always had the knowledge of the true king. What do we have in this building? What do we have in this building that nobody else has? The knowledge of the true king. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Because here's the deal, you ready? There's nothing that you can find in this building that you cannot find outside of this building, okay? Seriously. There, you, you, can find, you can find very nice people out there. You can, find, you can find all of that. There's nothing within this building that you cannot find other than, other than the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of everyone. And so the second thing that Moses and, and Esther had is that they had access to a people through the circumstances that God had orchestrated. They had access to a people. I have a question for you. What people do you have access to through the orchestration of your circumstances? Seriously, do you stay in your house, windows closed, doors latched, and the only time you come out of your house is when you come here and then you go back home? No, even if it's going to the store, even if it's going to the store, you encounter people all of the time. If you have a job, if you are in school, whatever it is, your, your circumstances give you access to the people that are around you. You are able to speak to people in a way that I cannot speak to people. There's a lot of people that I don't really know how to communicate with because I don't share anything in common with them. And many of those people are people that live next door to you. Many of those people are people that work right next to you. They're people that you go to lunch with because you have a relationship because of the access that you have in the same way that Moses and Esther had access to how God was using them to save his people. He's using you in the very same way. Do you view your life as circumstances or as orchestration? See, we, we, have, we, have, lots of, we have lots of settings that, that, that we can do this in, right? We have our jobs, we have our schools, we have our, our hobbies, we have our passions. If you have, if you have kids, um, how many incredible hours do you spend sitting at soccer games and driving to soccer games? Uh, I, my, daughter played, my daughter played soccer two seasons ago, okay? I cannot tell you how many hours I spent satting around, satting, sitting around a bunch of other people watching a bunch of seven-year-olds basically just run circles around a ball, Right? And the funny thing is, is through that shared experience, I actually developed relationships with these people. I would sit next to them for an hour on a Saturday morning, and I would, I would talk to them. I would have a conversation with them, right? And, and so how many people did I gain access to in that moment? 
Was that a coincidence? No. See, what we have to start doing is, is the God who used Moses and Esther. You may not feel like Moses and Esther, but the God who used Moses and Esther is the exact same God that is using you. And so do me a favor is I want you to remove kind of this imposter syndrome. I'm not Moses. I'm not Esther. I don't know what they may know. I wasn't in those situations. I don't, I don't, I don't have the speaking ability of Brother Jared or the singing ability of, of Brother Daryl. Like, I don't have those things. So clearly, God's not using me. Absolutely false. Because God's power is not based on you. God's power is based on God. And, and so what happens is the same God who used Moses and Esther is using you in an incredible number of ways. We are the ones that look at that and go, oh boy, that must just be a, a coincidence. No, it's an orchestration. It's an absolute orchestration because God continues to work and continues to use us in that way. And so when, when we look at this, when we look at this, uh, it, it, it's wonderful to talk and it's wonderful to say this and wonderful to get fired up about. You say, okay, this is, this is great, Kyle. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think God is using me. Now what? Now what? And so here's what I do. Is I boil it down to, 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 to three things. Three things, okay? This is, for me, this is relational evangelism at its peak. Is one, the first thing, is we show. We show. Pretty simple, right? Here's the thing. I know that we live in, in, in Belton Temple Academy, Texas. And I think that, that probably if I asked most of you, if I asked most of you, I would say, okay, how many people that absolutely do not know Jesus do you know? You would probably not be able to come up with many. Here's the deal. That's okay. Because where we live, there's, most people have heard Jesus. Most people have gone to church with their grandma. Most people have, have been around it. But, but I have a question for you. If I were to ask you, how many people do you know that genuinely, truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ who know and understand what the peace of God feels like, who know what it's like to have hope in an eternal God and not to have to rely on myself to be good enough based on some moving scale, you probably can start coming up with a lot of names. And so what we do, first and foremost, is that we show people what the gospel looks like. We show them. Uh, the youth, right now in the youth, we are going through Luke 6. Here's the most awesome part about Luke 6. Luke 6 is where Jesus is teaching his followers how it is that they should be interacting with the people around them. Seriously, is, is there, there, there's a passage where it's when I am being acted upon, when I'm the one that, is, that, is, that someone is doing something to, how do I respond? And then right after that, it's how is it that I treat other people when I am the initial actor? How is it when I am the one that is initiating that action, how is it that I treat them? I have a question. Do you think that Jesus is just doing that because he thinks that everyone should have really good manners? No. See, Jesus is doing that because the way in which we deal with other people, the way in which we treat other people will be the ways in which they see Christ. They will see Christ in how it is that you act and how does you respond. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times we throw that off and, and, and we, we eliminate that from our thinking because we only look at it in, in little segments of time. Like, oh, if I'm, if I'm really kind to that coworker who does nothing but dump on me, if I'm really kind to them one time, what's, what's that going to do? They're not going to care. They, they're, they're just going to keep on doing it. 
But here's the deal, is take it out of that one little segment of time, and I want you to zoom it back. And I want you to, to step back and to start getting this huge view. So what happens all of a sudden when that one coworker that is always rude to you and that always dumps you, time and time and time again, you are continuously kind to them. Now, yeah, you stand up for yourself. I'm not telling you to not stand, stand up for yourself. But, but you're, you're continuously kind over and over and over again. They treat you poorly. You treat them with love, kindness, and respect. At some point in that, in that story, at some point in that story, and it may not be your story, it's going to come up in their life. God is going to use that as an orchestration to, to start speaking into their life because they're going to go, one of these days something's going to happen. And they're going to go, you know, I, I realize I'm not always that nice to you. Or, or maybe they'll phrase it differently. Oh, you know, I know I'm a little bit pushy sometimes. Or, you know, I know I can be demanding. However it is, why are you always so nice to me? Why do you always ask to pray for me? Why do you always, why are you just, why are you just so kind? Why do you always seem so happy? I come in here and I'm just mad that I have to be at work and you just seem so happy. There's your access. See, that's the relationship that you've built. When Jesus teaches us how to interact with other people, he's doing it so that way Christ lives through us. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. It is Christ who lives in me, right? That, that, is, that is what's going on, is that is the showing of what happens. And yes, it is long, and it can be grueling, and it can be difficult, and that's okay, because that's it's supposed to be like that. So does your life reflect this? Here's the thing. You can boil down, you can boil down what it is you truly believe and how it is that you truly live when you look at the things that you do all the time, the ways that you react all the time, the things that you are passionate about and that come out through your life all the time. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you about three people. I'm going to tell you about three people, okay? One is Brother Jared. You know, I know what Brother Jared is passionate about. Brother Jared is incredibly passionate about the church, about the church, not just this church, the church in general. He's incredibly passionate. And the reason I know that is because when I talk to him, you can hear it. You can hear him being passionate about the church, about the expansion of the church, about the church reaching into areas that it has not reached before. When I, when, 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 uh, when I would talk about Heather, Heather is incredibly passionate about, about making sure that, that the children's department is not just some little Christian incubator, okay? Heather is, if you have talked to Heather, you know that Heather will tell you that the children are the church. They're not just the future church. As in, God is using them right now. God is using them right now to reach out to, to their friends, to reach out to their family members. To, uh, to, and, 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 and he's not just raising up a generation. He's using that generation right now. That it's not just an incubator over there, but he's actually active. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You know, until I've been around Heather, I, I'm not saying that I, I just believe, oh, let's just, you know, kind of keep him over there and keep him quiet. But, but until you get around Heather and you start listening to that, you start realizing, man, maybe I didn't actually believe that. Maybe I just thought that, that God was going to start using them in, in three or four years when they got to the youth group or when they got to the college group or whenever they got into, I, I mean, man. Daryl, you know what Daryl is really passionate? Daryl is really passionate about genuine worship through music. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about talking to Daryl. We, we, I, I hear 
how it is that he looks at songs, to, to, to the, the, the content of the songs and, 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 and the, the words and the way in which the words play out, that it's, it's not just this, hey, let's throw something on the screen and sing it, or he really looks and dives into it. See, these things come out because I see it all of the time. What is it that your actions show about you? What is it that other people would look at you and go, oh, yeah, boy, I know that they love that. That always happens because that's how you're going to show Christ. That's, a, that's our mission statement, right? Heather, Heather put it in, the, in the, the video today. Showing the world the way, the truth, and the life of Christ. Showing the world. So we show. Second thing is we tell. So we tell. So we show and we tell. See, when you have access to people, when you have relationship with people, you earn the right to tell them about Christ. Let me, let me say this. You don't earn the right to tell them. You earn the right for them to hear you when you tell them about Christ. You should always be talking about it. You earn the right for them to hear you. See, when you come along some, alongside somebody and you, you, you walk through them in a difficult time, when you are always there with them, when you, are always, when you are always trying to show them kindness, when you're always trying to show them love, when you're always trying to, to act out the parts of Scripture that where Jesus commands how we are to interact with other people. Now, it will always be on, I mean, it says in Joshua to keep the book of the law on your lips. You will be talking about it, but, but here's, here's how I see this play out so often. Keep in mind, keep in mind, there's not anything other than Christ that separates us from people who are not here right now, people who do not believe. Like, like, we go through all of the same problems, struggles, and trials that people who don't believe in God go through, right? Absolutely. And, and so when we go through something, you're going to inevitably be around someone that will go through something that maybe you've, you've, you've been through yourself, maybe you have, have been around, maybe you have experience with. And, and what, an, what an incredible opportunity for you to, when you're talking to them, you say, you know, I went through the same thing, or I've been around this, or however, whenever I was struggling with this, um, God really revealed to me something in, in this passage. So, so what he said is, is when Jesus was, was, was sitting with, with these people that were, were looking down at all the people around them, there was someone who came and begged him to heal, and they just looked at them as a sinner and, 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 and as not good enough. And instead, what Jesus did is he turned away from these righteous people, and he loved on that person, and he healed them, and he cared for them. He saw them for the pain that they were going through and for the need that they had. See, that really spoke into my life, and, and I, I don't know why. I, maybe, I hope that that can help you too. Maybe the conversation ends there. Maybe it continues, but it's going to come back around because God is continuously orchestrating what's going on, not just in your life, but in the lives of the people that he's reaching out to as well. And so the third thing is that we lead. Now, most people in here have some form of social media, so I'm sure that you've seen the, the Facebook things about you know, what a leader really looks like. Right? A leader is not the person from behind kicking someone through the door or cracking a whip. A leader is the person that's up front and is going with the people. See, here's the deal. is When we talk about leading people to Christ, when we talk about leading people to Christ, genuinely leading them to Christ, is we go with them. We bring them along with us. Now, now, now don't, don't hear me. I'm not saying that. Like, like, I want you to bring them to church, but keep in mind, like, just inviting someone to church and you continue to be active and to continue to be involved in their life. You are the one that, that hey, 
hey, how, how is, how is uh, reading the Bible going? Hey, you, you want to go get some coffee? And man, I was, I've been looking at this passage. I'd love to look at it with you. Uh, uh, hey, can, is, there, is there something I can pray for you for? Man, you seem like you've been having a difficult time lately. Man, can, can I pray for you? Oh, that's awesome. Do you mind if I pray right now for you? You lead, you show, you give, you give that example and you walk alongside them as a, as a either a, hopefully a brother or sister in Christ or, or a, a, a soon-to-be brother or sister in Christ, but you lead them through that. So we show, we tell, and we lead. Now, show, tell, and lead are three really easy words to say for a long process. There's all kinds of ways in which we share the gospel but we're not going to do it with our everyday lives unless we genuinely believe that God is orchestrating your life to reach the people around you. Everyday discipleship, everyday evangelism, living it out, loving on the people that are around you, caring for them. See, God is, God is, is, is at work in your life in the same way he was at work in Moses' life. I hope somebody writes a book about you one day. Chances are they're not going to. But, but when they do, when they do, you can look back and you will be able to say, here are the ways in which God was bringing these amazing things together. Because I bet you, you have a couple of things in your, in your mind right now. Say, you know, there was that time that I thought something really bad had happened and it was tough. And, and there was a couple years where I really felt like I was lost. I felt like I was struggling. But then God started to bring some things to fruition. And if I wouldn't have gone through that, I could have never reached out to this person. I could have never cared for that person. I could have never shared Christ with this person. God is orchestrating your life in the same way that he orchestrated the people's lives in the Bible. The only difference, the only difference is nobody's written you into a book. You're never going to get written into Scripture, so that's why I say book and not Scripture. But nobody's written a book. God is orchestrating your life because the same God that orchestrated Moses' life, the same God that orchestrated Esther's life is the one who lives in you and the one who's using you to reach out to the people that are next to you, reach out to the people that are around you, reach out to the people that you interact with on a daily basis. Father, once again, we come to you and we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for the chance just to be here, to praise you, to, uh, to sing your name, to, to, to shout your praises. Father, I, I just ask that in this time that you would be speaking to us. Father, that, 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 that we, would, we would come to you and, and, Father, that we would just listen. That we would listen to whatever it is that you have to say to us, Father. That, 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 that as, we, as, we, as, we, as we pray, as we sing, Lord, that that we know you're orchestrating our lives. Show us how different that may look, how different our daily interactions may look when we know that you are the one bringing those things together. They're not just random coincidences, Father, but they're an orchestration. Father, I, I pray now for anyone whose life that you have orchestrated to this point, that, that, that maybe they're here because you have orchestrated them to be sitting in this room right now because they don't have a relationship with you. I, I ask that, Father, that, 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 that you would speak to them, that you would draw them to the front so that way we can, we, we can, we can share and we can celebrate in that that, 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 that as someone comes to Christ, that we as a church can gather and just praise you. Father, I, I ask that... that you would speak into someone's life now that maybe needs to know that you are 
orchestrating their life. Maybe they, maybe they feel adrift. Maybe they feel lost. Maybe they feel like they, they just haven't, they don't have a direction. Speak into their hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we stand and sing, I'll be here at the front. Come, pray at the front. Pray at your seat. Worship your heart out, however it works.